0: That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Hello there, and you're very welcome to this additional Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times.
1: It's Friday afternoon. I'm Hugh Linehan. I'm joined in studio by our political editor, Pat Lee. And Pat, the reason we are here is because since we last spoke, which was less than three days ago in the wake of the budget, all hell seemed to break loose up in Leinster House, where you do most of your work.
0: There are very few budget weeks in which the budget is not the biggest story of the week, but this is one such. Um, Budget was reasonably well received by the following day. People were looking around uh, to see where the news agenda was going. Unusual even for a well-received budget. And then this Dennis Knoxon controversy erupted yesterday, which, uh, as listeners will know, uh, culminated in his... Uh, in his resignation in the doll yesterday, a moment of actually authentic political drama in that nobody knew it was coming. Uh, uh, apparently, Taoiseach even didn't know, despite having requested effectively Dennis Naughton's resignation uh, a few hours earlier, he didn't know what uh, uh, what the minister, the then minister, was going to do. So maybe... Just take us through what happened over the course of those
1: 24 hours from uh, Wednesday afternoon to three o'clock yesterday afternoon when Dennis Nocton gave his resignation to the club.
0: Okay. well, there had been uh, sort of a slowly rumbling controversy about Dennis Nocton's meetings with the head of the consortium, which is the sole remaining bidder for the national broadband contract, which is an enormous state contract uh, which will provide for uh, broadband access to half a million homes and half a million of the most remote homes in the country uh, that uh, we, which are home to more than a million people and which currently don't have uh, broadband, high-speed broadband access. So the state is going to provide that broadband access to these homes because it's not commercially viable for uh, uh, for. Uh, for internet companies, uh, telecoms companies, to do so. And this has been rolling on for a couple of years now. A number of bidders were in the process originally. They've slowly dropped out. Uh, with the result, there's only one bidder left. The consortium is led by a company called Granahan McCourt. The chief executive of that company is a guy called David McCourt. Now, the controversy was rumbling, uh, going back to where we were on Wednesday. Controversy was rumbling because, I mean, a number of stories... A couple of stories published recently which revealed that uh, Dennis Nocton and his officials had, had a private dinner in New York with this uh, gentleman, David McCourt. Then it was revealed last week at the Times Island uh, I think, that Dennis Nocton had arranged and paid for a lunch for David McCourt's daughter in the member's restaurant in Leinster House. Apparently it was her birthday or something. A peculiar place for a young lady to go for her birthday, but, uh, but there you are. you go. So th- this was rumbling a bit. There were some unanswered questions about it, or the nature of his contacts, were there other meetings and so forth. And the Taoiseach had a meeting, buy the Taoiseach's account, he had a meeting with Dennis Nocton on Wednesday evening in uh, government buildings to ask him about this. And again, by the Taoiseach's account, because there's a couple of
1: contradictions
0: between the Taoiseach's account and Dennis Nocton's account, we can come to those in a minute, but by the Taoiseach's account, Dennis Nocton responded to the Taoiseach's questions to the Taoiseach's satisfaction. And later that evening, Dennis Nocton called the Taoiseach close to midnight to say he had just remembered that he had had a private dinner with or he had attended a private dinner with David McCourt at uh, Mr. McCourt's home. And he felt he should tell him that. Taoiseach said, we'll talk about this and we talk about this in the morning. And in the morning when the two men met, Dennis Nocton told the Taoiseach that there were a a further, or as the Taoiseach put it in the Dáil yesterday, at least a further three private dinners he had attended with Mr McCourt at which no officials were present and therefore no notes taken. So according to the Taoiseach, uh, Dennis Nocton agreed that this didn't look great and suggested a number of remedies, one of which was that he would move to a different department, remain a member of the government, another of which was that there would be an independent review of the process, and another of which suggested that um, that, he, that that he responsibility for this, for this broadband part of his contract portfolio. should be transferred to mm. his junior minister. None of these were to the Taoiseach's satisfaction. He asked him to reflect on his position. Uh, when he did so, uh, he... Uh, decided to really uh, decided quite rightly that Taoiseach had no confidence in him in his current position, so he, he decided to resign. And he went straight into the DAW. He didn't he inform the Dáil, the Taoiseach at three in advance. He in didn't inform Taoiseach, uh, stood up and, and, uh, and, and resigned. Now, I was actually in the DAW chamber uh, at the time. There was a scattering of deputies there. Myself and uh, Fia Kelly, uh, my colleague, I think, were the only journalists in there at that time. Um, partly because people certainly weren't expecting this, but that we thought that the the controversy was likely to be solved by a, a, a statement and 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 therefore go away. Mister. Nocton delivered his statement of resignation as it then was, uh, turned on his heel and left the chamber. And opposition TDs who'd been in there expecting to have an opportunity to ask questions of him were left having nobody to uh, having nobody to question. Some of them pointed out that. They hadn't even requested Dennis Naughton's resignation. And in his resignation statement, he didn't make reference to what he had told the Taoiseach about the private dinners with, uh, with David McCourt. So there followed an hour or so of intense... Election fever really around Leinster House, uh, in which rumours swept up and down the corridors to the extent, sorry, to the effect that Taoiseach was going to go to the we were going to be pitched into an election. Government lost his majority, and uh, and 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 so forth. I never thought that likely, uh, really, uh, because uh, we can get on to talking about the, the likelihood of an election now. But certainly for the Taoiseach to go to the country on something which was a screw up by government never it's seemed not, to not me not a great to be problems. likely. It's not a yeah. good look uh, starting your mm. election campaign. So anyway, when the Taoiseach came in, uh, he then put on record the, the version of events that I've just outlined. Which is, not a, version, which is a version which is disputed by Dennis Knopp. In some respects, it is disputed only to the extent of when he told the Taoiseach about the private dinners. The extent of his contacts with David McCourt which is the substantial problem that he faced. Okay
1: because that does seem uh, fairly that is, that fairly minor disputed. disagreement so let's you know let's let's set that aside for for the moment. The, the the fact is that Dennis Nocton, the minister for communications a government department which i think it's it's, it's fair to say um, was was centrally involved in one of the most controversial episodes in the history of the state when it comes to the awarding of licences in the past in the 1990s, which was the subject of a tribunal. So there are, there, there is a history of sensitivity around these kinds of issues. Um, only remembered to tell the Taoiseach about these multiple meetings with this gentleman who was centrally involved uh, in this licence process really very late in the day. That's fair to say, isn't its his, his,
0: his? No matter whose account you accept... The Taoiseachs are Dennis Nocton's. He's only telling the Taoiseach uh, about this, uh, as you say, very late mm. in the day. And whether, and
1: uh, 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 by his account, because he didn't remember it up until then, by his account. Certainly in relation to the the one meeting he told... By his account, and having remembered
0: government. the one private dinner uh, at Mr McCourt's holiday home in County Clare, which mm. was organised by a junior minister, Pat Preen, who's a local... A local TD. He'd completely forgotten about this, by his own account. But he either didn't remember or chose not to mention when he was recalling this to the T shock. A further three dinners, or at least three dinners that he had had uh, with Mr. McCourt. All of which, whether you take the most benign interpretation uh, of us, are are not. Seems to me to have made his resignation a foregone conclusion. Now, he made that certain word plays,
1: Dennis Nocton did in his resignation speech yesterday about his being about optics rather than fibre optics. But can you tell me. What are the norms in relation to this kind of behaviour and how ministers should behave themselves? And are there any actual rules? In other words, is this actually about optics? Optics yes, th- are important.
0: Th- th- the dep- not only does the department have rules about this, but as you rightly say, there is a culture in that department which remembers the events that led to the Moriarty Tribunal. And, and I've spoken to former ministers in that in that department, and they say that the officials in that department are utterly paranoid about contacts between minister and business. One of them rather colourfully put it to me, and I won't use the the exact uh, vernacular terms that uh, that he employed on that occasion but that uh, they were reluctant to let him go to the lavatory on his own when there were bidders for such uh, contracts uh, around and it's simply beggar's belief that Dennis Nocton would not have been told by his officials not to do precisely uh, this sort of thing now mr. Nocton's defense was that you know he has to meet businessmen he was trying to keep the process going um i i i find it difficult to believe that he wouldn't have known that this would be the sort of thing which if it became public would cause him immense Political now,
1: Leah Veradker and various other former cabinet colleagues um, of of Mr. Nocton, including Regina Doherty, who I heard on RT Radio earlier today, have been at pains to say that there is no stain on his character. That this is that the, it, that this is about the perception, uh, a problematic perception created by by these actions. It uh, and of course, you know, we all accept we all accept that. But it seems, at the very least, extremely foolish on his part, doesn't it? And it's not the first time because there was an incident in relation to uh, a newspaper purchase, uh, Celtic Media, some yeah, months ago as well. The last Which time... Similarly, similar kind of kind of chain of events.
0: The, well, the last time, I mean, much less serious, really. I mean, the last time that he was giving a personal statement of explanation in the doll was uh, to account for having taken a phone call from a lobbyist, uh, a lobbyist for independent news and media during a time when he was... Uh, considering a merger that that uh, 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 her media takeover that, that company had applied uh, for his, minister- his his required ministerial uh, approval in, um, so and, and actually I mean in, in in a kind of curious detail in the thing that the the lunch for Mr McCourt's daughter in Leinster House took place on the day that he was answering questions in the doll. About that particular incident. So, it, 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 as I say, it, it, it's and people in government that I've spoken to about this, including up, you know, to a very senior level in government, are, are simply perplexed that he would put himself in this position. I mean, the only thing one could say, and Dennis Stockton is, you know, pretty popular guy around Leinster House, and uh, I, I, I don't think there's a suspicion that. Any anything, you know, nefarious or untoward was at play here. Nobody has made that suggestion. But, and, and the repeated nature of the meetings would tend to bear that out. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's it was struggled, one struggles to give a coherent explanation other than uh, extreme naivety, uh, bordering on, political stupidity frankly
1: now, Dennis Stockton is an independent but very much from a Fine Gael gene pool came up through young Fine Gael uh, was a contemporary of Leo Varadkar, both in the early days and that in that organisation um, his father was a was a Fine Gael politician uh, before him but he is an independent and how much how relevant is that to the way that this played out if at all
0: well it turned out not to be that relevant at all i think in that you know there was and as some, or, or there was a school of thought early on in the week when this kind of controversy was bubbling a bit that, you know, because he was an independent and wouldn't be subject to a party whip, if he was a Fine Gael minister who was forced to resign, that therefore he, there was no question of him resigning because that would lose the, uh, because the government would then be, uh, down one in the context of very tight parliamentary numbers. But actually the, the details of, his misdemeanours or his errors of judgement, to put it no more strongly than that, when they came out, were so egregious that, irrespective of what party was in or none, he would have had to resign, I think.
1: Right, so that's all relatively clear, and then this dance I think you mean continues, crystal clear. Crystal clear, I beg your pardon. This dance continues um, with developments this afternoon and communication between uh, Micheál Martin and Neva Varadkar. Yes, uh,
0: Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin has uh, written, uh, Dear Leo... Letter to the T-shirt. Another one. Pointing out to him, and this has found its way into the public domain, and uh, in which he says that, and actually I can read you the relevant bits, if you like. uh, Yes, please do. In the light of recent developments, and as we head into this critical period on Brexit, I think it best if we both state up front, irrespective of what happens during the confidence and supply review process, we both both agree not to bring down the government we should both agree to continue to pass the finance bill and other legislation at least up to the point where whatever is agreed by the european council on brexit in the coming months has cleared the critical hurdle of ratification by the house of commons and no the european parliament so where does that so leave what us? does it mean okay so what i think michael martin is doing is that he is wrapping the baby of the Brexit negotiations in swaddling clothes and holding it fast to his breast and saying unto Leo, dear Leo, hit me now with the Brexit negotiations in me hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, Micheál Martin doesn't want an election before Christmas. I think Leo Varadkar does want an election before Christmas but can't figure out how to bring one about without being blamed uh, for being desperately irresponsible and uh, leaving the country without a stable government during this critical so time. So apart from articulating that
1: fact to, to the great public by means of this astonishing leak of this private letter between these two gentlemen, what does this letter today change in terms of that equation? I think it makes,
0: it makes public Mial Martin's private strategy. Uh, and to, why do you to that avoid right now? A, because what he's trying to do is uh, is to suck Leo Varadkar into this this process, uh, the review of the confidence and supply agreement to get to Christmas. And then all bets are off. Because as one Fidegale minister said to me earlier on during the week, it's. Uh, it's a it's it's the election is Leo's to call before Christmas. me Hall's after Christmas. Explain so that. To one, me. Explain because that to once me. you get to, once the confidence and supply agreement is once you get to December, once you get to Christmas. December is uh, the finance bill is to be passed on the twelfth, I think, of December. Then the confidence and supply agreement is officially over, and Leo Varadkar doesn't have a comfort blanket. But more importantly, he doesn't have a comfort blanket uh, uh, of the uh, uh, of Fianna Fáil's guaranteed. Abstention to uh, in and in the in the new year, so he can be pitched into an election in the new year, and no government wants an election early in the year. The last two uh, elections to be held in February featured catastrophic losses for uh, the governing party because they're coming at a difficult time of the year for governments coming usually after a uh, a January crisis in accident and emergency units in hospitals. And I think that Leo Varadkar doesn't want that. Nobody in Fine Gael wants that. They've been aware of this for months, which is why the agitation for an election has been growing in Fine Gael. Too
1: late now, also, though, isn't, it? isn't it? I think it is too late yeah.
0: now. I think it is too late now. I think that's been obvious since September, to be honest, because I think it would be extremely difficult for Leo Varadkar to call an election at this point in the Brexit negotiations, and Micheál Martin is simply saying that publicly now.
1: So, if you are a betting man, which I know, of course, you're not, um, is there any prospect, once we get through that process and get to the other side of, Christmas, side of Christmas, of an extension of the confidence supply deal, or are we just sitting, waiting for Micheál Martin to pull the plug? Then? Limited,
0: I think. Um, I think confidence in not just the confidence and supply agreement, but confidence in the longevity of this government or the desirability of further longevity in this government is waning fast in Fine Gael. Bear in mind that the trend in opinion polls is to show a significant advantage to Fine Gael over Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil's view is that the longer it goes on, the longer the problems in health and educa- health and housing are unsolved the better, by this as far government, as they're concerned. the more the public sees of, you know, this spin-obsessed callow youth in the Taoiseach's office as Fianna Fáil would have it, uh, the more the Fine Gael lead will be eroded. So they want to stretch it out. Fine Gael, uh, Fine Gael doesn't.
1: But in terms of your logic about Fine Gael being terrified of a February election, do, will Fianna Fáil welcome a February election? Would they want to jump quick or, or wait till the spring?
0: I think they will want to take on the government at the point of greatest disadvantage for that government. Whether they judge that to be in February or whether some sometime beyond that, I don't know. There's been some talking so, but I suppose the overall point is that these negotiations on the confidence and supply agreement, I'm not sure either party wants them to succeed.
1: Okay, there's been some talk on social media from some political representatives, Neil Richmond of Finnegale and various other people since this letter emerged about whether the choreography or the diary for the Brexit process next year has some role to play in this, that the, the, whatever agreement is reached in November will still have to face what could be the, the pretty serious hurdle of passing at Westminster. There's, uh, there's votes to be had in Brussels at the European Parliament.
0: There's a number of processes to go through into March. Final deadline, I think, is not March, it's the 21st of January, which is the uh, the deadline by which the British Parliament has to have a say on uh, on the deal. So if there is going to be an agreement, it will most likely be made by the middle of November. We'll know a lot more about this after next week's summit, but more than likely, if there is to be a, an agreement on the withdrawal treaty, including the Irish Protocol, that will happen uh, by a, a special summit in November. Could run into the December summit, but more likely a special summit in uh, in December. After that, that is not... And there's a view in Fine Gael, I think a minority view, but a view nonetheless, that the Taoiseach can agree uh, a Brexit deal or can be part of the agreement of a Brexit deal in November, come straight back, go to the country, and the election takes place on Friday the 7th of December. I think that ignores the uncertainty of parliamentary ratification, uh, which I don't think will be as much of a problem in the European Parliament. But it sure will be at Westminster, potentially. It will Mm -hmm. be at Westminster. So if I am Mrs May, I agree that deal in November or December and I come straight back and go for parliamentary ratification, which means that it will be clear then by the end of the year whether, uh, whether... there is going to be a withdrawal agreement. And if there is a withdrawal agreement, that means there's a transition period after Britain leaves the EU next March. And the transition period means nothing changes. So everything settles so down everything for a year, settles, year and a half or Everything so. settles down. Obviously, if there's no deal, then everything is up in the air. But if there is to be a deal, which is still the most likely outcome, I think it will have to be done by the 21st of January and probably will be done before then. La- At that point, then decisions can be made about the, the next election. But until that point, I think the two parties will be in this sort of meaningless dance over the confidence and supply agreement. Last question. Did Micheál Martin
1: uh, perform a quite clever act of political jiu-jitsu today? Um, has he reinforced the political landscape as he would have wanted it to be in by,
0: by uh, issuing this letter? To be honest, I'm surprised he didn't do this before now. I think it was a little bit predictable that he was going to do this. Even more predictable, uh, I think, was that after the letter had been sent, but before it was published, Fine Gael uh, ministers came out and publicly called on Mr Martin to provide this assurance that there wouldn't be an election. But all that is the sort of kind of political toing and froing that you would imagine, uh, uh, that, 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 that you would expect. Uh, so uh, I, I think Mihal Martin tactically has played a weak hand fairly well. I think the strategic advantages still lie with Fine Gael and still lie with the Taoiseach. But Mr Martin has become adept in recent years. It's one of the great adjustments that he has made after a career when in Fianna Fáil, when it, is, when it was unquestionably the largest party, he has adapted to playing a weak hand quite cleverly. I think he's still doing that, but it won't win him a general election. He will still be up against it uh, when, if and when that day comes. Pat, thanks very much.
1: And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics. Thanks very much to our producer, Jennifer Ryan. And remember that you can subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast provider may be. You can always contact me at hlinahan at irishtimes.com or you can find me on Twitter and you can find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. See you the next time.